Hello and welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and something that is different than I thought it was. Well, when I was little, I had the erroneous assumption that having a coupon meant you could get anything you wanted for free. Yes. I want to know what you tried to get for free. <laughs> An Arctic Circle Happy Meal. Oh, no. Oh, that's tragic. It was not free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Caitlin, and something that was different than I thought it was going to be... I feel like that's how everything is. I feel like I live so much in my, I don't really live inside my mind, but I feel like I come up with ideas about the way the world is supposed to be. And then when I get there, I'm like, oh, it's not like what I imagined, even if it's great and amazing. So I just am in a constant state of being disappointed. So <laughs> life, <laughs> life is the thing. Just kidding. Caitlin coming at us with the optimistic outlook always. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm Kristen, and I'm going to go a little more specific. When I was little, I thought that a hangnail was the same thing as a hangover. So when my friends would be like, oh, I've got the worst hangnail, I'd be like, how? We're 10. And it scared me. That's fantastic. I am also Kristen, and I would say that something that is different than I thought it would be is actually motherhood. I love it way more than I thought I would. Like, I think... I don't know what I expected, Yay! but <laughs> yeah, I really love it. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. And a big welcome to Kristen Sicarelli, author of international bestseller, The Last Namsara, also The Caged Queen, The Skyweaver, and her new YA fantasy, Edgewood, which came out on March 1st. Tell us about Edgewood, Kristen. So Edgewood is technically contemporary fantasy, and it's about a musician whose grandfather is stolen by this cruel fae king, and she has to return to the home that she left behind and enter this cursed forest um, in order to go retrieve her grandfather. And the only way to do it is to barter with this king and take her grandfather's place in the court as the king's singer. But uh, the court is cursed, and every singer before her has come to a terrible end. Ooh, Yay! that's a great, that's a great, yeah, good cliffhanger oh, there. So it's a wonderful book, and you guys should all check it out. Well, Kristen, we're so glad you came on the show today, and we're excited to talk with you about finding joy in the publishing journey. Basically, how publishing isn't really what we expect, but still good. So to start us off, how are publishing journeys different from the outside than the inside? I think we all have these visions, you know, growing up, following our favorite authors of what publishing is. How does it turn actually turn out? Uh, <laughs> this is, yeah, well, I mean, I think from the outside, like, it's easy to see someone, like, to see an author or a book doing well and to think, like, I, I remember, um, actually, I think you have her on next victoria schwab is she on next week mm -hmm. next time yeah so she talks about this too where it took her 10 books to become an overnight success so so everyone thinks that uh like a breakout book is it just happened and then find out that there's like this long history usually behind that book maybe other books but maybe a lot of manuscripts maybe a lot of rejections but i think for me like something that a lot of people don't know about me that i think is maybe interesting is that i've i'm actually on my third agent so i think there's sometimes a misconception that you get an agent and then like that's it you're with that agent forever the fir my first two agents actually left publishing and sent me back to the query trenches um so that was oh, that was really uh, fun <laughs> yeah well twice in a row that's hard yeah <laughs> and the same thing is true for books 
books. Like I, so Edgewood is coming out uh, next, or I guess it just came out yesterday. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Time warp. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, like, I wrote that, the very first version of that book, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. It went out on submission um, 10 years ago as like a very different version. I revised it with an editor at Knopf. I still love her dearly. We revised it three times on spec. Um, so there wasn't a cro- contract uh. over a year. Um, they said no. And then Gosh. it was like, it was awful because it was like, I thought I was making this book better. Clearly they didn't think so. And then when I, and then it got worse. I gave it back to my agent and she was like, I can't take this out on a second round of sub because it's lost its heart. And I was like, okay, so I didn't just oh. make it like I didn't, yeah, I didn't, not only did I not make it better, I actually ruined it. And so anyways, so that was 10 years ago. So it's just like every, not every book has a story like that, but a lot of books have stories like that. And a lot of writers have stories like that. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I think more writers have stories like that than not. Yeah. Um, Publishing is such a a fraught, weird business. Like, I have gone through two agents and I'm in the query trenches right now because, not because of any agents being bad, but sometimes you just find that they're not the right fit, like whether it's editorially or like the way they run their business or just whatever. And I'm still like friends with my agents and I still talk to them and and all of them still like work on the projects that they submitted. So I still actively work with them on stuff, you know, because they've all sold books for me. And so anything that sells still from those books, like we actively work together. And I, I mean, I have experiences like that too. My book that just barely came out, it went on submission years and years and years ago and didn't get sold because it was in this weird middle space and people liked it, but not enough. And then I ended up rewriting it over years until I was finally like a big enough writer to make it what it needed to be. And I actually have heard other stories like that when you end up revising on spec, both with agents and with editors. And that's, oh, it's such a risk, you guys. Yeah. Such a risk because it's so much time and effort and they haven't actually paid you any money. And so, and it can, I, I have a friend who did that with an editor over at HarperCollins where she just was rewriting and rewriting and rewriting over, I feel like it was a year and, and they didn't buy it in the end, which is, it's so rough. But then your book ended up with a beautiful cover and is <laughs> out now. I feel like that's such a great success story because so many people were like, I wrote 15 books and then finally the 16th one. But you're like, no, I got to publish the book. So how does that feel? How how did you come back to it? Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes that ruins like your love for the book because you had to do so much to it. Totally. I um. So I just, yeah, I want to say the same thing that you just said basically is that I, this book is now, it could, it could never have been the, this book 10 years ago. I would never would have been able to write this, this story as it is now. Um, and I love it so much. And it would like, I'm kind of sad that this, it, this would, this version of it wouldn't have existed if it had gotten published 10 years ago, but I wouldn't have known that 10 years ago, obviously. Um, <laughs> so basically I, I, I had totally given up on it or I had thought I had given up on it. I did not want to look at it again. Um, because it was just like my heart was broken. Um, And it was only until I had all of my books in the Ascari series had had come out. And I was just feeling like I was just kind of not burnt out, but like, um, maybe disillusioned with publishing. Um, Like it starts to become like the shine kind of wears off maybe a little (laughs) bit um, at that point, three books in. And I was just like, I was just trying to like, 
find myself again or like find my love of storytelling again. And I had sent a a list of pitches to my agent. I was like, I could write any of these things. (laughs) And they were all just like one line pitches. I was like, do you, is there anything on here that you particularly like? And I had just at the last minute had put um, I had just been thinking about Edgewood and so I had just put that like the a one line description of it at the very bottom and she's like this one I was like oh no and then I was like okay <laughs> no and so basically I just I decided I wasn't gonna plot it I was just gonna like go back to it I was not even gonna read those old versions I was just gonna rewrite it from scratch and I was just going to let myself like follow my heart basically um which is not how I write books any like I didn't write I plotted all of the Ascari series and I still now I go back I've gone back to plotting but this book I don't know it just needed to be something else and that's how I wrote it that's really cool to hear I feel like one of the big takeaways I hear um from publishing stories is it's really like an iceberg you know we only see the the shiny little tip that's all glitzy on top but there's a whole iceberg underneath of you know the work and switching agents and you never really get to a place where you're safe. And I hear the term disillusioned with, um, with publishing a lot. So with all that being said, how then can we measure success? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so, <there> hope? No? <laughs> well, well, I think it's like, I think first, well, first of all, I think it's very different for every person. And I think it can be different at different points in your career and like seasons of your career, I guess. So I think for me, like in general, I think I have two levels. Like right now it's like, there's a temporary version of success, which is for me right now, it's like um, making enough to support my family. So I've been uh, supporting my, like putting my husband through school. Um, He's in school full time, so he doesn't work. And we have a baby. And I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And so for me, it's like sometimes that means I have to like apply for grants in order to top up my like writing income from my advances. Um, and like and I know that that's temporary. Like I wouldn't want to do that long term because like having a baby and being the sole provider is like very stressful. So that is actually something I'm really proud of. So like people often assume that like I am supported. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just like the first assumption people make. And so knowing that like, I I can do that, I can put my husband through school, I can like put a roof over my baby's head is something I'm really proud of. But like I said, I wouldn't want to do it forever. I think underneath that is like success for me is more about putting in the work consistently and getting up after I fail because I like there's a lot of failure there's like the rejections is just one thing it's like um your publisher doesn't want your next project or um like it it could be any number of things that happen in any number of ways even after you're published like consistently picking myself up again and like pressing on and like always sort of keeping going I guess so that for me would be success and I think one more thing I would say is that there's this like trap that you can fall into and this is with anything but of like always wanting more, always wanting better. And there's not necessarily something that's wrong with that. I think that can like challenge you and it's good to be challenged. But I think sometimes it can make you feel empty and just like hungry. And I don't ever want to be that. Like sometimes it's really easy to become that. Um, And so for me, it's like always being grateful for what I have accomplished um, and realizing like how lucky I am to, to be doing what I'm doing right now. That's such great perspective because, I mean, publishing especially, people always talk about what does it mean to be successful because so much of success in this business relies on other people and timing and luck. 
And and so if you hang your like I won't be successful until my name's on the New York Times bestsellers list. Like you might be hanging there for a really long time and it might not be because of anything you did or couldn't do or like because you're not good enough or because you are, you know, like it's not a lot. A lot of people have uh, have the keys there, if that makes sense. So um, being able to put things into perspective and being grateful for what you do accomplish is such a great a great thing to tell aspiring authors. Yeah, for sure. I also wanted to just say, based on something that you said a little bit earlier, that I feel like when I first started writing, I would hear people say I had to rewrite the book from the beginning, and it made me just like like curl up inside because it was so hard to write a book even once. And I was like, I have to go back and do it again. What are you talking about? And I have come to realize that I sometimes you need to do it. And treating writing like a job sometimes takes a little bit of the sparkle off of it but that's what it is yeah I mean and sometimes that's what brings the sparkle back if you give yourself room to be like it doesn't need to be this thing that I wrote already I know what the heart of this book is and I'm gonna write it the right way this time so that's actually a good transition then what are some things it would have been good for us to know starting out like what are some things you wish you'd known before getting into this publishing journey oh gosh okay wait I have some notes here (laughs) oh yes Okay, so one of the things, I hope it's okay that I have a whole list of things. So, I'm really so excited awesome. about this list of things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the things that I would say is, um, and maybe you can speak to this too, but um, just because your editor buys your first book or your first three books doesn't mean they're going to buy the next one. And that this is like totally okay and normal. And the upside of this is that you actually get to learn even more from various different editors. Like I, the things I've learned from my editor at HarperCollins are different from the things I've learned from my editor at Macmillan. And like, you get to combine those things and become a better writer. You get to level up, I guess. But um, the other thing I would say is that the author, and Caitlin touched on this, the author-agent relationship can be really tricky. And I've like on my third agent. So I would say that the top three qualities for me in my experience for having a strong um, author-agent relationship are open communication, always giving the other person the benefit of the doubt, and being flexible or willing to compromise on things. So for example, I remember when I was working on the last name, sorry, with my last agent, she was like a bulldog. Like she would just like, she was so stubborn and I can be really stubborn and we would just like argue, argue, argue about what was wrong in this particular chapter or whatever it was. And I remember, and I was so determined, like I w- I thought she was wrong. I thought she was totally wrong. And I thought to myself, I was like, okay, even if she's wrong, I'm just going to, I'm just going to edit it with her suggestions in mind. And then if it doesn't work, which it's not going to work, which is how I was, <laughs> I had convinced myself, then I'll go back to the original version. So then I, I revised it with her feedback in mind and it was, uh, it was better. <laughs> so like, there's no harm in doing that. Um, and yeah, so anyways, those are my tips for, for me anyways, those have worked um, in relationships with agents. I would also say that when you're unpublished, like this industry is so tiny and you don't realize how tiny it it is until like you're in it, I think sometimes. So it is really important to like not be an asshole, um, especially before <laughs> you're published. Like I think that review, that negative review that you tag an author in, like three years later when you're sitting on a panel with them, like... They might remember that like, and you don't, so just like be considerate. I would also say like, I've just seen like in my debut year, I think we had like 70, 
I, I mean, I, I was, we were in a group with, um, they had combined the author, the YA authors and the middle grade authors. And we were, I think there were about 70 YA authors. Does that make sense? That came out, that debuted in my year, or maybe it was the, the total of the- Which year did you come out? 2017. Yeah. So we were in the same debut group. Okay. Do you remember how, how many authors there were? How many YA authors? I don't, I feel like it was close to, I think there were over a hundred just in the group. So it must okay. have been- just seven. Yeah. Okay, so like, and how many, Caitlin? How many of those authors would have like published second or third books? Would you say? Ooh, uh, like probably not even half. Yeah, like it's it's just it's um it is such a tough business. So you just have to be prepared for that. Like you need to be prepared to like work and keep working. Like even if you get a book deal, it's no guarantee that you'll get another one. So you need to decide like how badly you you want it. If you don't love it, if you don't love the writing, then it's okay to like... Do something else. Yes, (laughs) do something else. I remember someone, I remember someone giving me that advice. Like basically the advice was like, do anything. If you can do something else, do anything else. And I was like, what? And I was like, well, okay. Yeah, I understand. I I hear that advice a lot as well. (laughs) That's excellent advice. Thanks for those tips. We're about out of time for this portion of the podcast. Does anybody have anything finally wanted to bring up before we move on? This is depression hour. Yeah, really, though, <laughs> you guys are making me so excited to go on sub. I can't wait. <laughs> I feel like we should end on a positive note because I feel like as soon as you're in the writing community, there are so many people who just shore each other up and are positive and wonderful. Oh, yeah. And like you don't have to be published to be a part of the writing community. If you're listening to this podcast, that's being part of the writing community. And here's the thing. We all started out working on this because we love writing we enjoy it right it's so fun for us and so that's something that that you control that no one else no one else is going to say I'm going to turn your level of enjoyment down you can't enjoy this anymore and so you know when things get hard you can just come back to that it's still something you enjoy it's still a talent you have and that's not something someone else can take away well, and I also just want to say I love some of the things that Kristen said here, which is that if, when you focus on the things that you have and that you're grateful for and you're not constantly hungry, like that's where you find joy in this kind of work. Yeah. So measuring success yeah. by yourself and not by how you compare to other people. I, I think that's yeah. great advice. Yeah. And I don't actually I don't think just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not worth it. Like, yeah, like yeah. So I feel like my, all every single rejection and every single setback for me is just like okay, how much do I want this? And it's like, yeah, I want this. So it, it's like a, it, it makes you ask that question. And I think it's a, it's a good question, not necessarily a bad one. Yeah, that is a great question. I love that just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth it. That's great. All right, we'll go ahead and move on to the next portion of our podcast where we critique an audience submission. Uh, if you'd like to check out the text of this submission and see all of our notes, you can view that on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. And if you would like a first chapter critique from some of our upcoming guests, you can also find submission guidelines there. So a quick summary of this week's chapter. In the midst of a thrilling ball, Amelia's friend is snatched away by one of Queen Victoria's assassins and accused of being a terrorist. So what are some things we liked about the submission? So I really, really loved the opening paragraph, the mystery of the bells that are tolling when someone is assassinated, juxtaposed with like this sort of like full boisterous ballroom where she's dancing was just really excellent and intriguing, like it drew me right in. Obviously, the concept of executing people for crimes that they haven't committed yet is like super juicy and hooky and like creepy like I, yeah. I really loved that and the the ending the assassin 
and shows up and uh, she's arrested. And then that phrase that she uses, um, a lady never waits, that's sort of like, um, and then like the people in the crowd, it kind of like rouses them and they all start sort of coming to her aid. Like, it was just like, what is that about? This assassin is so cool. Uh, it was just like, a, it was like, a, the, like it sent the chapter out on a bang. It was really dynamic. I loved it. I really liked the the phrase about the ladies never wait too because we find out that there's this terrorist organization called the ladies in waiting, which I just think I is so much. <laughs> such a great promise. That's really exciting. I'll second to the concept of killing future criminals being so interesting because I think this this book is set up for so many good moral discussions and questions about ethics and philosophical debates. I'm really excited. And I'm just excited to see the mechanism of like, how do they know who's guilty? Like that, that's, yeah. that's a really big mystery that I'm excited to see solved. What are some things that might need a second look? Like I said, I think like it starts off so well, it hooks you right in. Um, and then it ends on that bang. So those like, I feel like the, the bookends of the chapter are, are lovely. I would say that some of the middle, like, I would love for there to be like, a, like a more progressive um, complications. When I sort of like dissect a chapter or like build a chapter, I have an inciting incident, a character desire, obstacle to the character desire, and then pro- progressive complications that sort of increase until the climax. And I would say those progressive complications are missing in this. So basically the inciting incident at least from my perspective, is when she can't find her brother. So she's like kind of looking around and he's gone missing. And then she thinks that maybe he is the person who's been executed. And so she is desperate to find him. So inciting incident, her desire is to find him. Um, The obstacle is like the suitor she's dancing with. And the progressive complications are the fact that she's trying to leave and he won't let her. Um, That's the first progressive complication. And then there's just kind of like a lull up until the arrest. So there's about four or five pages in there where she finds her brother. So the like her desire is kind of met already. Um, and so it kind of like the steam that's been building sort of fizzles out. Um, and then and then she has a she has a conversation with her brother about Beatrice, his girlfriend. Um, and then she has another conversation with her friend Charlotte. Um, and it's kind of there's like some sort of tension and you're not really sure what's going on between the two of them. And then all of a sudden there's the arrest. So I'm, I wonder like if she could kind of encounter more obstacles. So maybe the inciting incident could still be that she's trying to find her brother, but there are more obstacles that can sort of feed all of the information we get in there. Like as she's like over, like surmounting those obstacles up until the climax. I have some ideas for how she can do that specifically, but if you guys want to weigh in first. Sure. I didn't feel like I got to know the character well enough to understand what was going on or why the things we were being shown were important. Like Kristen mentioned, there there's that lull in the middle where we get a lot of information where she tells us a lot of stuff about herself. She's like, everyone loves me. I'm rich. I have a press. I have all of this cool stuff. And instead of being shown those things so that we get a sense for where the character fits in this world, she tells us. And so it just feels like a, a tour through the ballroom where she's like, oh, and here's this boy who loves me. And here's this girl who also loves me. And, and these are all of my friends. And there's my brother. Yeah, he's not dead. And, you know, it, it just felt like a tour rather than like that that uh, building tension where I was really excited to finally find her brother, you know. So I feel like if there was just a, a little bit more attention to, to showing versus telling, it might 
might help that a little bit. Well, and I think that would help with one of my big issues, which is that I had a really hard time getting a handle on Amelia's emotions in this chapter because she's she's kind of all over the place. She she's blissful, but she's sad, but she's gleeful that she can command men's attention, but she's really lonely and then suddenly she's panicked about her brother. And I think that all of those emotions make sense in context or they could, but they they need a little bit more like hooks to wait onto, if that makes sense. So I think if, if like Kristen suggested, there's there's more happening, the emotions are going to feel more earned rather than just kind of surprising. I'll just agree with Kristen. One book I'm loving right now is Storytelling Genius by Lisa Cronin. One thing she mentions is for for characters to feel real, we need to understand what they want and the the fatal misbelief about reality that is keeping them from getting that. So maybe they want connection, but they have this belief that connection is pain, so it's not worth it. And so I think I, I'm with Chris, and I had a little, a bit of a hard time identifying what it was that Amelia wanted, not just from the scene, but from life, and what was keeping her from doing that. Yeah, just to just to kind of jump off your point quickly, like that misbelief. Uh... I call it the controlling belief, but misbelief or like the big lie. Somebody once explained it as your theme inverted. So basically your theme is like what you want to say with this book in particular, but like usually it's like coming from like your heart. Like what is something that you really believe that the world needs to know? So saying that and like whatever that is. So maybe it's like love conquers all or something. It could be anything. Maybe more specific is better, but and then you reverse it. So like love is actually dangerous or like love hurts you or like or something that's sort of sort of the opposite of that and you give that to the to your character and you have it come out of something in their history so they have been hurt by love in the past and they could that could be in any number of ways and then their desire then is always so their desire so what they need is to learn that like love conquers all they need to like they need to turn against that misbelief. And so basically, whatever their desire is, it should be completely opposed to the thing that they need. So she needs to learn, again, this is not about this particular story, but she needs to learn that love conquers all or that love heals or whatever. So her desire, whatever that outward goal is, should be co- in conflict with that. So she has like an arc. So she has somewhere to to like learn and grow and like become a better version of herself or the truest version of herself. I don't know if I explained that well, but okay. I got it. Okay. But what I was going to say is, and this is just like, this was just me. Like I'm just throwing out an idea. I'm not saying that you should do this, but it might just rejig some things uh, in, in your head. So I think, so Beatrice being arrested at the end, we don't really know Beatrice. We, we, we know Cedric a little bit. We know Beatrice even less. Cedric is her brother and she loves her brother. And then Beatrice is like his girlfriend. So she's like almost twice removed from her. So I wonder either if you make Beatrice more important, like potentially a sister instead of Cedric being the brother, or you have it be Cedric who gets arrested at the end. So potentially um, what you could do, and you'd have to like, as Kristen was saying, like you need to like sort of build in the emotion here. And I think one way to do it is if you have Cedric right at the beginning, like she's maybe she's looking for him right in that first page, in that second paragraph even, and like they're making eye contact or something, or she's supposed to meet him and, and there's something that she needs to tell him or there there's something that he was supposed to tell her. Um, and so she really needs to find him. And then there's all these obstacles in between that are like suitors and like rituals that maybe she has to do as part of this ball 
that keep kind of interrupting her getting to her brother. And then at the end, she finally gets to her brother and he's arrested. Um, like something something like that, where it's like, so it, there's a bit more of a connection there. This person is, is really important to her. So it's like, we feel it a bit more. And then also it raises the stakes because of that. That would be my suggestion. You don't have to do it that way, but something, just a, just an idea. All right. To this author, thanks for submitting. And Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Listeners, be sure to check out Edgewood wherever you get your books. Our next guest will be Victoria Schwab, international bestselling author of Vicious, The Shades of Magic series, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, and many more. We're doing a special edition with stenciled edges of Gallant, her newest YA fantasy, and it is gorgeous. If you want one or to find out more, you can check our social media, join our newsletter, or view our shop on the website. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.